15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh my goodness. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the warehouse at Oreo Park at Camden Yards, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Paul Mancano, joined by Brendan Mortensen. Some fresh graphics on your screen if you're watching live on Facebook or YouTube. We have updated and improved our graphics package yeah. here to more reflect the television new graphics that began. What, we're only four months late on this? I think we got yeah. it. You know? It was it was a bit of a delayed rolled out, but, but we got here we eventually. Got, we got here, and that's, that's the, right. Yeah, exactly. That's what matters. Um, we have so much to talk about. We just had a draft podcast a couple days ago, myself and Tim Leonard, and boy, the the topics, the news, the notes are coming in fast and heavy, and we have so much to talk about at the major league level. This is going to be our trade deadline preview podcast because the trade deadline is mere days away. We're also going to talk about uh, D.L. Hall, potentially. When could his call-up occur? We're going to talk about Taron Vavra, who just made his MLB debut. But uh, first off, Brendan, softball. New softball league is starting up. Yeah, Tim, and that's what the people want to hear about. That is. We, we had Tim Leonard now join our softball league, and apparently we crushed in our first game, and it just so happened that you and I were not there. Right. So I think that coincidence is a uh, correlation here. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about being on one of the better teams in the league. Yeah, we've we're, up- we're so used to just being on the worst team where I got used to the underdog feeling, and now I just don't know, we just are, being on the best team. We're used to being the head under the boot. Now we're the boot. Right. You know, now we are, now we get to be... What if we're the buzzsaw? We, what if we're the buzzsaw this year? We put in our time, and I think we deserve... To be on the team that takes it a little bit too seriously, and that appears to be what our team yeah, is. Yeah, but I, I don't want to take it that seriously. I, we don't have to, but I personally, reap, I, I can assure you that I will not be. We can reap the benefits of a team that takes it too seriously. This is true. Guys who bring knee pads to slide and, right. and such, which we don't. Knee pads, batting gloves. We we take it seriously enough. We're not. It's not a joke out there. We have gloves. We have. Uh, you know, spikes. We have that kind of stuff, but we don't have. It's a little bit of a joke. It, it, yeah, but we play hard. We do. We bust down the line. You know, we're like, we are trying our best, but we just know that at the end of the day, it's just a rec league softball game. Right. Whereas, I don't know if everybody on our team knows that. Remains to be seen. This is life for them. Yeah. Um, Let's hope that none of our teammates have watched this podcast and, and now decided to kick us off the team for criticizing. For calling them out. For, for calling. basically calling them hardos. Hardos, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, well. That's a risk that we'll just have to incur. I suppose so. Look, we put up the numbers, so what we say they'll have to deal with our diva personalities because they'll you stick us in the middle of the lineup, we'll rake. Sure. Our our past experience speaks for us. Right. We, maybe we'll be trade deadline acquisitions for some team if they look to trade us. What a segue. They could get a huge haul. Will the Orioles going. get a there huge haul for one of their players at the trade deadline? So, Brendan, I think that is the first and foremost topic that we should discuss here because uh got several names that are being floated out there. Orioles are in a position that they have not been in in several years where they are currently above 500 with mere days left before the trade deadline. And typically teams that are in this position that are in the middle of a wild card hunt are looking to buy at this point. But the Orioles are in a bit of a different circumstance. 
Right. And I think that odds are still that they are going to sell at the deadline. Yeah, I still don't think they are going to buy. I recognize that they are close enough in the wild card push where maybe they could buy at the deadline if the goal was to make the playoffs this year. But that is not the goal. The goal is to be competitive over the next few seasons to reap the rewards of the rebuild that has occurred over the last few years and see what the prospects can do over these next few seasons when you're trying to make the playoffs and be a little bit more competitive. Michael Elias is not going to risk the long-term future of the rebuild just because your 2022 Baltimore Orioles are overperforming. Now, that being said, when we talk about the trade deadline, we're talking about teams wanting to add controllable talent because they want to be competitive. They want to add to their already winning ways that season. And this is the first year where the Orioles are a part of that those winning ways. They are, and they are a team that right now has overperformed expectations. They're a team that, frankly, could experience a little bit of a regression towards the norm over the last couple months of the season, considering you're going up against, again, one of the better divisions in baseball. Now, they have overperformed. Like I said, they have done a whole lot better against division opponents. They've done a whole lot better overall than we thought they would. So there is some certainly reason to believe that we are wrong, and this team is going to be a better team in the second half than they were in the first half. You look at Adley Rutschman. He's going to be here, assuming he's healthy. He's going to be playing the rest of the last two months. They didn't have Adley Rutschman for the first two months of the season. He's been a major benefit. Could be getting Kyle Bradish back. Unfortunately, Tyler Wells has gone to the, the IL, but maybe you'll get a DL Hall come up and he'll improve. So maybe this team could actually be better in the second half than they are in the first half. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't stay the course here. Because even if this team somehow is in the wild card race going down the stretch, going into September, into the final couple weeks of the season, odds are you're going to be a quick playoff out if you somehow miraculously make the playoffs. Right. I mean, anything can happen in baseball, but once you get to the American League playoffs, then you are talking about a long series against the Yankees, the Astros, even teams within the division. I mean, the Blue Jays, the Rays... There's a lot of good teams in the American League, and if the Orioles somehow squeak into the playoffs here, it's probably not going to be a long run. Never say never, because it's baseball, yeah. and anything can happen in baseball. If a team gets hot at the right time, I just don't see it happening. It, just because you get to the dance doesn't really mean that you kind of are amongst on equal footing with all right. the teams that are in the playoffs. You just This team, as currently constructed, is not built to win in October yet. Doesn't mean next year's team won't be but the eye should be on next year's team and the year after that. However, if the Orioles find an appropriate move to get somebody who has very little major league experience but has already made his major league debut, somebody who is very early in the service time requirement, perhaps the Orioles could pull a trigger on somebody like that. But I just don't see them going out and acquiring a Luis Castillo, a Blake Snell, somebody who is already several years into their service time is either close to or in the middle of arbitration, will be requiring a pay raise at some point soon, and will take prospects to acquire. I could see the Orioles trying to make maybe a sneaky buy, like you said. Somebody who isn't going to cost a lot of prospects and, as you mentioned, is controllable, has maybe just started their service time in the majors and is on a non-competitive team. It won't be a big splash by any means. I mean... You could look around the league. The one name that I thought of, 
that would probably cost a little bit too much. Tariq Skubal. I mean, the Tigers have said that he is available via trade, which is kind of ridiculous, but he's 25 years old. So if the Orioles wanted to go after somebody who was available like that, I mean, that would probably be a relatively big splash because Skubal's had a good year. He would be kind of expensive. But I think if you're going after somebody and if you think that the Orioles might buy at the deadline, Skubal is a name that would make sense because of how young he is and he could be a fixture in this rotation for multiple years. And I think that pitcher is certainly a position that they could target. They could target any number of positions as well because I think that they could upgrade around the edges because they're not going to go out and get somebody who's going to block a Jordan Westberg or a Gunnar Henderson at shortstop or third per se. They're not going to go out and get a center fielder, anything like that, but they could improve upon the rotation. Pretty much no matter how many pitchers you have in your rotation, you could use some improvements, and the Orioles certainly will have some open spots in the rotation, especially with Tyler Wells going down in the short term. Yeah, Scooble, I just didn't know too much about him, but he's not a free agent until 2027. So right. incredibly, considering that's a name I've heard for several years now, I thought that he did not have as many years of team control, but he does. So that's somebody that perhaps they could target. But again, if they are going to make a major splash, I think it's going to be them trading somebody. So let's get into who they could trade, who they could sell, as opposed to who they could buy. And I think at the top of the list is Trey Mancini for a number of reasons. And it starts with the fact that he's 30 years old. Second off, he is an impending free agent. And finally, the Orioles have a first baseman of the future in Ryan Mountcastle. There are three factors working against Trey Mancini, unfortunately, at this deadline. And as much as we love Trey, love covering Trey, I know Baltimore fans have loved having him here and being a representative for their team in so many ways, following his story going through stage three colon cancer. This is one of those instances where you don't want to remove emotion entirely, but you have to make the best baseball move here. Right. And you mentioned that he was an impending free agent. That's an assumption based on the fact that he has a mutual option for next year that more than likely will not get picked up, whether that's the Orioles not picking it up or Trey Mancini not picking it up. And from Mancini's perspective, Paul, I understand that the Orioles are overperforming, that they may be competitive here over the next few years. But Trey Mancini, like you mentioned, is 30 years old. He has not really been a part of a competitive team in his career. He's been in this rebuild now well, he, for a while. He was in... Early, early on yeah. in his career, he was a part of those competitive Orioles teams. But since then, yeah. he has been a part of the rebuild. And if you're Trey Mancini and you have an opportunity, whether it's at the deadline or in the offseason, to go to a competitive team that has a chance to give you a starting job, that's probably a chance that he wants to take. And going into free agency, assuming that one of the two sides will not pick up the option, whether he's in Baltimore or or elsewhere, because those mutual options tend not to get picked up by both parties. Trey said it before the season, it's just, it takes two to tango here, and it's difficult to get two sides on the same page, because either the player thinks he's worth more, or the team thinks he's worth less, and the two sides tend to not pick up the mutual option. So assuming he heads into free agency, think about it this way. Of all the positions that the Orioles are going to need to upgrade in the offseason— if you were to rank them in terms of importance, first base would probably be near the bottom of the list. Well, designated hitter is certainly last. Absolutely. I, a designated hitter spot is something 
especially with a right. If you are a competitive team making a playoff push and you have one through nine pretty much filled out and just want a slugging DH, sure, then you figure out the designated hitter. But for a team like the Orioles, especially in this phase of the rebuild, when you are trying to get prospects at bats, we're seeing it right now with Taron Favre, who hasn't even played yet because he just doesn't really have a spot because guys like Ramona Rios are playing really well. A DH spot is pretty valuable for this team right now. Kyle Stowers is still in AAA. If the Orioles had an everyday, even a DH spot, I know realistically you want Stowers to start in the outfield, but heck, if you just trade Trey Mancini, you could make Anthony Santander your permanent DH, and then Kyle Stowers all of a sudden has an everyday role in right field. And especially a team with a good hitting catcher like the Orioles have in Adley Rutschman. Want to keep him in the lineup. You want to keep him in the lineup when you want to save his legs and not have him behind the plate. I think a DH spot is hugely valuable to have an open spot there. You also have Adley who can play first base. You have Tyler Nevin who can play first base. You have Mountcastle who is solidified as your first baseman going forward. You have guys that can play that position to the point where if you are going to sign somebody in the offseason... For any position, you're going to look at pitcher. You're going to look perhaps at another stopgap in the infield, whether that's second base if you don't believe Vavra is fully ready to take over and you want to have Westberg and Henderson at shortstop or third. You are not looking at first base as a position of need. So the Orioles, in all likelihood, if you were to remove emotion and remove Trey Mancini's history, and I know that's difficult to do, as it should be because he was made a serious impact in this community and in this city over the last several years, remove all of that and look at Trey Mancini as a free agent, the Orioles would not have interest in him in the winter of 2022 to 2023. But the reality is you really can't remove the emotion with Trey Mancini. And realistically, especially given his recent slump, you're probably not going to get a fantastic prospect in return for Trey Mancini. There have been rumors that maybe he'll get paired with a reliever like Dylan Tate, and you would get a better return in that scenario. But Trey Mancini on his own, I mean, he's had a pretty good season, but only has nine home runs on the year. The Mets have been linked to him a lot. They just traded for Daniel Vogelbach, so you don't really know what the Mets are thinking in terms of a Trey Mancini trade. He's not going to command a ton, right? and it's going to be a really hard pill to swallow, I think, when you are trading Trey Mancini, who means so much to this team and so much to this city, and you're probably going to get a lottery ticket in terms of a prospect, and that's a tough pill to swallow. It is. You could get maybe a couple low-level prospects, maybe somebody in the top 30 of a farm system. I know you've concocted some trades that you think might Yeah, I had a, a potential Mets trade for Junior Santos, who is the Mets' 16th-ranked prospect, which is a little lofty, but the Mets' top 30 is not fantastic. But again, he's a lottery ticket. He's a 20-year-old pitcher at high A. He has a 60-grade fastball. It's just somebody that you take a chance on as maybe rotation-level potential, but you don't really know. And so it's hard to give up Trey Mancini for that, which I completely understand. And as we are talking about the fact that it makes sense to trade Trey Mancini, we don't want to... We would be remiss if we didn't acknowledge the fact that this is going to be tough if he is dealt. So trading him, in theory, gives you something before he could walk. At least you get something from him, assuming he's going to enter free agency and look for a starting job, as he should somewhere else. You should be a starting first baseman on some team, but potentially a contending team. 
So the pro is you are getting something, but is the return worth it? And that's what Michael Elias has to consider because the cons are you're going to take a hit in PR. Let's be honest. I mean, team fans have grown accustomed to having Trey Mancini be in Baltimore and be a great representative for this organization. And you are taking a leader out of that clubhouse. As much as leadership, I think, in the clubhouse can be overrated at times in baseball, there's no denying that Trey Mancini has been a vocal leader, has been somebody who has helped young players get along. He has truly embraced the role of being a leader in that clubhouse, which isn't always easy to find. We've seen guys fail in that role over the last few years in Baltimore and other cities. So for Trey to truly be a guy who helps young players come along, that's something that the other players appreciate. But I do think they also understand that baseball is a business and that if Trey Mancini is traded, it's because there is not enough room for him on the diamond and the team wants to get something for him before he enters free agency. And among the other players that we are going to talk about as players who could potentially get dealt, Mancini is really the only one that doesn't really line up with the rebuild. Yeah, I mean, we're going to talk about guys like Jorge Lopez, even Anthony Santander, but Trey Mancini just doesn't line up as well as those guys do in terms of being competitive over the next few years. And I think when you're looking at the possible benefits of trading Trey Mancini, yes, the prospect that they get in return in a trade is probably not going to be the best prospect in the world. It might be a lottery ticket. However, you also have to look at the value of the spot that Trey Mancini opens up. He is providing you with value in that current spot. But if you trade Trey Mancini, like I briefly mentioned before, Kyle Stowers is probably promoted at that point because you could realistically either DH Stowers, DH Anthony Santander if he's not dealt. And Stowers all of a sudden has a clear opportunity to get playing time, which he deserves. I mean, he has an OPS close to 900 in AAA. We saw him very briefly in Toronto, but Kyle Stowers deserves a shot as well. And he is one of the Orioles' better prospects. And you would like to see what he can do in more of an everyday role. And I think as long as a Trey Mancini or an Anthony Santander are on this team, Kyle Stowers probably doesn't get that opportunity. It's a good transition into Anthony Santander because Santander is probably the next name that I would mention as potential trade pieces. However, it's a different case slightly because Santander has a few more years of control and he's three years younger. He's 27 years old right now, isn't a free agent until after the 2024 season. So he's got a year and a half right now of control for the Orioles. The question becomes how, again, are you getting a good enough value for Anthony Santander to the point where it makes sense to trade him? Because I like Kyle Stowers as much as the next guy. We've covered him since he was drafted 71st overall back in 2019, and his improvements on the farm have been Phenomenal. You want to clear roster space during a rebuild for your top prospects. You obviously clear the deck at catcher because you are making sure that Adley Rutschman is going to make his debut right. and that he is going to get everyday playing time. You're going to make sure that you have an open spot in the rotation when you call up Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall. You might make sure that there's an open spot in the outfield for Colton Kowser, who's considered one of their top prospects, if he once he becomes ready. However... Kyle Stowers is a slightly less regarded prospect. He's seventh right now in the Orioles system. And do you really want to clear the deck for somebody who is not a top 100 prospect and could very well 
be good and you can have the highest of expectations for him, but in a much more likely scenario, provides you about as much offense at the major league level as Anthony Santander is providing you now, albeit with maybe slightly better defense in a corner outfield. Yeah, we both really like Kyle Stowers. It would be very bold of us to assume that if Anthony Santander is traded, Kyle Stowers is an immediate replacement who provides you with the same value at the major league level as Anthony Santander. Yeah. I mean, Santander is a quality switch hitting outfielder with an OPS around 750. He's fine defensively in right field. He's not great. But Anthony Santander is a solid player who consistently hits at the top of the Orioles lineup. And if you trade him, Kyle Stowers is probably not hitting at the top of the lineup. Now, I like Kyle Stowers, and I like Ryan McKenna as well. I don't think there's a huge drop-up between Anthony Santander and Ryan McKenna. There certainly is with the bat. McKenna is not as good of a hitter as Anthony Santander. How much do you value defense in a corner outfield? We've seen how valuable Austin Hayes has been defensively in a corner outfield. So if you want to make that argument, then Ryan McKenna is a much better defender than Anthony Santander would be in a corner outfield but that's not really what you're looking for in a right fielder. So when you're talking about Anthony Santander, I do think the conversation boils down to, A, how much can you realistically get for him, which is probably not a ton, and B, how big is the drop-off between Santander and Kyle Stowers? And I know that we've said we're not looking for this year in particular. We're looking ahead to 2023 and 2024. But if you remove, if you trade Trey Mancini and you trade Anthony Santander, there goes... Two of the bigger hitters in right from the middle of your lineup. And yes, Ryan McKenna provides an upgrade defensively in right field. But like you said, Brendan, you're looking for a little bit more offense than what Ryan McKenna's given for you from a right fielder. And especially if you're going to remove your power hitting first baseman, yes, you're not f- building for the October 2022, but boy, is that going to make this offense a lot easier to get through for opposing pitchers. Yeah, I again... How good is Kyle Stowers going to be when he gets called up? That That's going to make or break yeah. this trade. Because I, if you do deal Santander, Stowers has to be good. I think, and Stowers has to be called up immediately. Right. I think that the hole opens up pretty much immediately. You can try the Ryan McKenna experiment in right field for a week or two, but ideally, pretty much as soon as this move happens, Kyle Stowers is already on your 40-man roster. Call him up. Get Kyle Stowers on the roster at that point soon. Is he already on your 40-man roster? No. Kyle Stowers? I don't think he is yet. Is he? Well, he would have been added for the Toronto series. But then those guys don't have to be added to your 40-man roster because they are replacements, COVID replacements. So I don't think he is. Fact check me on that. Uh, But essentially, Kyle Stowers is right there. He's in AAA. You add him to your 40-man roster if he's not on your 40-man roster, and you get him up to Baltimore as soon as possible because I think the benefit of trading Santander is that you have Kyle Stowers ready to start every single day. Kyle Stowers is not on the 40-man roster. roster. But this is also, I think there's something to be said for wanting to see these guys, as well as we're getting comments on Facebook and YouTube with some wanting to trade Anthony Santander, some not wanting to trade Anthony Santander. If you're not trading him at this deadline, I'll pose this question to you, Paul. If you're not trading Santander at this trade deadline, yeah, do you keep Kyle Stowers at AAA for the entire year? Because if you don't trade Santander, maybe you trade Mancini, in which case Stowers gets promoted anyway, maybe. Yeah. You start him in right field, you DH Anthony Santander if you end up keeping him. 
But if Santander does not get dealt, is there a scenario where Kyle Stowers just stays in AAA? I don't think that would be the end of the world if they had to do that because he's still only 24, 25 years old. No, but he's putting up fabulous numbers. He is. You could debut him opening day next year if you trade Santander in the offseason. But I agree it would be better to have him up here now because there is little for him to prove right now in AAA Norfolk. But is it worth getting rid of a 27-year-old outfielder with a year and a half of control just to open the spot for somebody who you hope is better? He's definitely cheaper and he's definitely younger, but you hope he's better. You, you really don't know until you see him get every day at bats. But you learn a lot sooner if he gets every day at bats at the big leagues now right. than if he had to wait six months and we didn't see him until opening day 2023. So that is an added benefit to having Kyle Stowers. But like you said, Brendan, it's going to be interesting. If they do trade Mancini, how comfortable they are in DHing Santander and just bringing up Stowers and right. sticking him in right field. And that could limit Santander's trade value if they intend to trade him in a few months in the at the trade deadline. We've seen the Orioles stick Trey Mancini in the outfield for large part because they want to prove to other teams that he can still play in the outfield and that increases his trade value. You're now decreasing Santander's trade value if you DH him the rest of the season in order to give Kyle Stowers everyday starts in right field. So I tend to lean on the side of trade Anthony Santander. You, you trade both Mancini and Santander. As to what you would do, not As what to what might. I would do. Right. Open up a spot for Kyle Stowers to be your everyday right fielder. He has proved at AAA Norfolk that he is ready for an opportunity at the major league level. You know what you have with Anthony Santander, which is a solid corner outfielder. I think Kyle Stowers has a chance to be better than solid. And for the rest of the year, I am pretty comfortable with a Kyle Stowers, Ryan McKenna, third and fourth outfielder, along with Cedric Mullins and Austin Hayes. That also gives an opportunity to a Tyler Nevin to play some more corner outfield if you want to get Tyler Nevin more playing time. I know he's not one of your top prospects in the system, but he's another one who has just been a little bit too good at AAA Norfolk to keep down there. There's other names at AAA Norfolk as well that I think could get a brief opportunity at the majors. A Robert Newstrom, maybe. Yeah. Not that you would trade Anthony Santander to give Robert Newstrom an opportunity, but the point being... If you want to trade Mancini and Santander, get some decent prospects in return. I think it is an appropriate time to see what you have in Stowers, McKenna, in bigger roles. The only thing is you have to get fair value. I would also make the the point on Newstrom. Yeah, I mean, we definitely had slightly higher expectations for him coming into the season, but he's putting up roughly the same production at AAA that Santander is putting up at the big leagues right now. Yeah, you wouldn't trade Santander for Robert Newstrom. Right, Uh, but... The point being that it could open up some opportunities down the road, absolutely. But you don't want to force this trade. I said this, I guess, a couple months ago when we were talking about this as well. But you don't want to force a trade where you are not getting fair value for Anthony Santander simply because you want to open up a spot for Kyle Stowers. So if you're not getting a prospect that I would say is it's an arbitrary cutoff line, but say is 20th or better in a team's farm system, It's just not worth trading a 27-year-old switch-hitting, power-hitting outfielder who leads your team in home runs right now. This is not a team that is bashing a whole lot of homers, and Anthony Santander is leading the way right now. So it's not worth it if you're not getting a good enough return just with the hope 
that Kyle Stowers is ready. And yeah. it's it's a problem that, frankly, I don't think the Orioles expected to have. I'm sure that they thought it was a possibility, but the idea that Austin Hayes, Cedric Mullins, and Anthony Santander would all be healthy at this point in the season for the vast majority of the season, I think is, a pro- is, is something that they were not fully expecting because all three of those guys, especially Hayes and Santander, have struggled with injuries for the past... Mullins, not so much. That's probably unfair. He's been very healthy, but... Hayes and Santander, both of your corner outfielders, have struggled with injuries over the past few years. I think they assumed, or at least were expecting, maybe one of these guys would miss time and you would get to see Kyle Stowers at some point soon. Not that you hope anybody goes down with injury, but it would naturally open up a roster spot that simply never opened. I will say, I think these are the only two players on the Orioles that make somewhat sense to trade. And I think trading Trey Mancini makes way more sense than trading Anthony Santander. I also think perhaps we overrated slightly the Orioles' outfield depth in the minor league system. I know that they have Kyle Stowers who's ready to go, but Yusniel Diaz at this point is barely hanging on to the top 30 and might not be there for for very much longer, may never make his MLB debut. Robert Newstrom at this point has not shown enough to deserve he's could get a call up, and he's in kind of watery territory right now going into the last couple months of the season. Colton Cowser is still a double-A. He's still a ways away. Maybe, at best, he could be called up maybe mid-2023. Well, I I think when you mention the outfield depth, it's the current it's for, outfield It's farther, depth. further away right, because than we realize. You have a Colton Cowser, a Heston Kerstad, those guys are just further down the line. Yeah. There are quality outfield pieces in this minor league system. Kyle Stowers is really just the only one who is ready to go right now. Right. They're, they're further away, I should say. Yes. And and also, that goes to show, with a lot of the fans who I, I understand, year after year, it felt like the Orioles were taking outfielder, 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 because they took Cowser and they took Kerstad back-to-back, and they were looking at the farm system. Depth can appear, disappear, and reappear at any position in a matter of months because they were looking at the system and saying, well, using the LDS is going to be your outfielder of the future. You already have these guys who were locked in. And just like that, the depth with it widows down a whole lot more. So they have some guys, Dylan Beavers also that they just drafted. So some guys that they have high hopes for, but they're a ways away. I would yes, say. Absolutely. Um, all right. So those, that wraps up a conversation about Trey Mancini and about Anthony Santander the next names, I think, tend to reside in the bullpen. Are there any other position players that you think that we should discuss as potential trade put- chips? Not really. I mean, I don't think Rugnet Odor commands anything no. at the deadline. I understand why some fans might want to trade Odor and give that spot to Tarrant Vavra, who looks like, at least from his AAA numbers, that he is ready to go. I don't think Odor really gets you much. At this point, I don't think he gets you really anything. I don't no. know how many active offers there would be for Rugnet And I don't really think there's any other names that you would deal. I don't think you're going to move Ramon Arias. He doesn't get you much. No. Jorge Mateo is probably not going anywhere. I think he gives you probably more value here than yeah. he gives another team somewhere. I don't think you're touching Austin Hayes or Cedric Mullins. We saw uh, some comments on YouTube have been talking about a potential Pablo Lopez trade. I don't think that includes either Hayes or Cedric Mullins. No. I think you could deal maybe some of your better prospects if you're looking at a Pablo Lopez, but I don't believe that Hayes or Mullins would be a part of that. So those two guys aren't getting touched. 
obviously Hadley Rutschman, Ryan Mountcastle are not going anywhere. I think Arias you want to see what you have, considering he is playing the yeah. best baseball of his career. Are we scratching the surface of something? It's worth finding out, right? considering how, much, how many years of control he has. Odor was DFA'd in the offseason, and he hasn't done anything to improve his stock. So there's probably not many teams clamoring for him, and the Orioles like what he brings in the clubhouse. If he if he's not an everyday player for the last couple months of the season, perhaps he's a backup second baseman and you give Terran Vavra a shot. Yeah, and before the year, I would have told you that Robinson Chirinos might have been a trade chip because he is a quality veteran backup catcher. He has not played very well this year. And the Orioles have next to no out catcher depth. Right. Beyond. Uh, they're not going to call up a Brett Cumberland. Right. So I don't think Chirinos provides much value at the deadline. So let's get to the relievers then. And it starts with Jorge Lopez, who is on the older side when it comes to this bullpen. Phenomenal group effort that this bullpen has put through this year. And from guys that you would never expect to be having career years and almost everybody in this pen is. And it starts with Jorge Lopez at the top, who is their bona fide closer. Gave up an earned run last night after he loaded the bases, but worked out of the jam pretty well given the ghost runner on second in last night's come-from-behind tie and then loss, unfortunately, in extra innings. Lopez, to me, is the most likely, but I don't think it's above 50%. I think it's it's a lot lower than 50% likelihood that he gets dealt. I think so, too. I don't think that Jorge Lopez gets traded. I think the real debate here is whether or not it makes sense. Right. Because on the one hand... This is the best season of his career. He's an all-star. Maybe you could make the argument that his value will not be any higher than it is right now. He is under team control until 2025 when he hits free agency. He is arbitration eligible starting next year. You could make a case that if you are going to trade Jorge Lopez, that now is the time to do it, coming off of an all-star appearance and a fantastic first half of the season. But on the other hand, you could also make the case that maybe this is just who Jorge Lopez is. Maybe the stuff is just that good. The Orioles have unlocked something in him as a closer. I know that Felix Bautista has shown a lot of potential as well as maybe a future closer. But there's also a scenario where you just don't trade either guy and you have a fantastic one-two punch at the back end of this bullpen for multiple years. Yeah. And if Jorge Lopez is just this good, he has come down to back to earth a little bit as of late. If he's just this good going forward, a reliable bullpen arm is hard to find. And so why would you trade one that is under team control for the next two and a half years? Yeah, and I think it's worth mentioning that the Orioles at this point last year did not trade Paul Fry, did not trade Tanner Scott. They, they didn't move those guys until this season started when they realized they had better options. They had offers on the table to trade those guys, but they thought, like you said, Brendan, those players are hard to find. When you get those guys, we've seen the Orioles struggle so much with finding consistent bullpen arms during the first several years of this rebuild. And now that you have several, why not keep rolling with it? Especially yeah. if you want to win in 2023. You want guys out of the bullpen that can close out some wins. And I think this team will want to win in 2023. Whether or not they finish the season above 500 in 2022, I think the Ryan 2023 is we're going to be several games above 500. We're going to be in the wild card race, at least until the very end of the season. Guess what? We're going to need Jorge Lopez and CNL Perez and Felix Bautista in our pen to close out some wins. This is not your trade deadline of Orioles past. No, it's Over not. Over the last few years. The bullpen has been 
excellent. And so if all of these guys are under team control for multiple years, why would you break it up? Right. I, there's just no point. Right. Why would you mess with a good thing at this point? Right. Because if you, and, and again, it would be a dramatically different conversation if these guys were on the wrong end of 30, if these guys were impending free agents, but they're not. And whether or not Jorge Lopez has this low in ERA, has this many saves at this point in the season going forward or not, even if he is 80% of the player that he was for the first half for the rest of his career, even if Felix Bautista, may, this may be the lowest his ERA will ever be because guess what? His ERA is pretty darn low. It's very rare that you get a reliever who is that good. He may not be that good going forward, but if he's 80% of the current Felix Bautista going forward, that's still a good reliever. And let's be honest, if the Orioles want to compete next year and they trade away a CNL Perez or a Felix Bautista or a Jorge Lopez or a Dylan Tate, they're going to have to be looking to upgrade the the bullpen in the offseason. And they're going to have to be either handing out contracts to free agents or they're going to have to be making waiver claims like they did on Perez and Brian Baker this offseason. And do you want to be in that position when you're looking to be a team that's going to win you know, hopefully close to 85 games next year. We'll see. Now, I want to throw out just a, a quick argument that is filled with a lot of hubris. The <laughs> Orioles took all of these bullpen Isn't that arms. All of your arguments? Pretty much. Yeah. The Orioles took all of these arms. Not hubris from my perspective. No, no, Maybe no, if kidding. you are the Orioles. Yeah. The Orioles found all of these bullpen arms essentially for free. A lot of these guys were DFA'd, waiver claims. Just wherever. They do not have anybody in this bullpen right now making a lot of money. If you're the Orioles, is there a part of you that says, sure, trade Jorge Lopez, we can do it again? That's That would be like a Tampa Bay Rays thing, where they're like, we will just... You, you want Blake Snell? We'll turn another... Fine, pitch. we'll get Shane McClanahan. We'll turn He'll in, be better. We'll turn another pitcher into a Cy Young right. contender. But, that, like, legitimately. But I think they only do that... Because, one, the Rays have proven that they can do that year after year after year, and they are not in a position that the Orioles are in where they are still learning exactly what they have in their farm system and learning the process that they're going through. It takes a lot of hubris to, to be on that side. And also, right. the Rays are doing that because they have to, because they can't afford to keep the guys that they have who are good in-house. So they are doing that because they know they can't pay a Blake Snell. They know they can't pay some of the guys who have been proven to be good. If you're the Orioles, we've talked about year, you know, year after year, really since they started this rebuild, that they will shell out the money once they have guys who are deserving of the money. Right. And they are in a winning mindset. So it, to me, that's like, it's the argument in the NFL that you get of, if, if you're a team, you know, do you just trade your quarterback before he finishes out his rookie deal and you say, let's just go ahead and draft another quarterback and not have to pay somebody hundreds of millions? It's just... It takes a lot of guts to believe that you can pull that off, that you can make lightning strike twice. I agree. I just think there's probably some small part of the Orioles that goes, our bullpen is pretty much made consistently of guys that we claimed and yeah. just kind of got off the scrap heap, and we can do it again. We can make good pitchers out of these guys. They could. They're doing it now. I mean, Austin Voth has been yeah really good for the Orioles this year. I mean, they're going to need bullpen depth in next year, yeah. in 2020. They can do it again to add talent to that bullpen, but you don't have to trade away your current pieces, especially considering what are you going to get that is going to be, are you going to get somebody who's going to be better than Jorge Lopez? 
Probably not. And when you have somebody who is on the right side of 30 who is controllable, is, that's probably not worth it. I agree. I was just throwing out the no, argument yeah. for argument's sake. It's a good argument. There's got to be part of you. There is. It's it's uh, at least good to see that the Orioles are making so much of waiver claims right. of guys who are signing uh, you know minor league deals in the offseason. It is impressive, and it's good. To, it's encouraging going forward because then you think about what happens when they really get to mold some actual top end talent. But like they will over the next couple of years. Uh, so th- that pretty much wraps up the bullpen conversation. I think it, let's let's drop some some uh, expectations, some predictions on who we well, think. One, gets, oh, one sure. more bullpen name, real quick, Dylan Tate. Sure, it, that is a name that has gotten floated around. I don't think the Orioles should or will trade Dylan Tate. It's another guy who's not going to hit free agency until 2026. He is under team control for a while. I understand the argument that because he has team control, it makes him more valuable, but it also makes him valuable to the Orioles who are hoping to compete over the next two or three years. You keep Dylan Tate. This is the best year of his career. He is under team control for three more seasons. Keep him. Yeah, and relief pitchers tend to not make a whole lot in arbitration period. Right. I mean, if once he gets to his arbitration years, what's he going to make? $1.5 million maybe for the first year or so? The only way I see Dylan Tate or Jorge Lopez getting traded is if you aren't happy with the return that you get for a Trey Mancini and you want to pairing them with Tate or Lopez all of a sudden makes that return a heck of a lot better. Or you get a great offer like the Orioles got from the Marlins in the Tanner Scott, Cole Sulcer trade where they right. got a very high uh, compensatory pick, compens- uh, competitive balance round pick that you really can't you know, turn down at that point. Sure, I get, I get that. All, all I don't of know these, how many of those offers are going to be out there. All of these scenarios are contingent on the fact that if an offer blows you away, you take it. Right, of course. Yeah, if, if somebody is really enamored with one of your relievers, yeah, then then you pull the trigger. Right. But, you know, doing a full-scale, clean sweep of the bullpen just doesn't make sense to me. All right, Trey Mancini, we had that birds game, Brendan. Yep. 100 birds. If you had, uh, you're just doing percentages, essentially. What? How many birds would you put on him getting traded versus him not? Two weeks ago, I would have said 99 birds that Trey Mancini gets dealt. Because of the recent slump, I don't think it's going to play a ton into Trey Mancini's trade value here. Because of the recent slump, maybe the Orioles are just not satisfied with any return they get back and just not taking the PR hit and just having the second half of Trey Mancini, even if he walks, isn't worth getting a prospect that you don't really care about. Yeah. That's where I can see maybe 10 birds that he doesn't get dealt, but I still say 90 that he does. Okay, I say 80-20 that he does get traded. Anthony Santander, I tend to go the other way. I think we're going to disagree on this. I have 30 birds that he does get traded, 70 that he does not. I think it's more likely that he stays. I think I would put a 45 that he gets traded and a 55 that he does not. So I would still lean towards him not getting traded in more likelihood, but I think it's a toss up. What is the line with which you would not accept a Santander deal? If a team offers you their 29th best prospect no. in a mediocre system, you're not pulling the trigger on no. that. Even with you throwing a couple recent international signees. I think you need a 
at the very least a top 25 prospect for Anthony Santander because I okay. think it needs to be at least a solid combination of a decent return and opening up that spot for Kyle Stowers, like we mentioned, which has value in and of itself. Jorge Lopez, birds, he gets traded. 10, 10 wow. he gets traded, 90 he stays. I would go 20, 80. I think there's a slightly higher percent chance. Anybody else? Everybody else is probably below 10. Dylan Tate, I would give a 10 as well. 10 he gets dealt, 90 he stays. We've seen I don't deals. know if there's anybody. I Jordan Lyles, I would put like five birds that he gets traded. I don't really know if there's anybody else that could get dealt here. Also, what have we learned from Michael Elias over the last couple of trade deadlines? He makes moves that nobody sees coming. Right. I did not see the Orioles trading Miguel Castro two years ago at the trade deadline, a 25-year-old reliever. But Freddie Galvis. And they did. Freddie who was Galvis. was a hurt shortstop. Who was injured. No, We did not predict. We were talking about Paul Fry and Tanner Scott for months. Right. And then Freddie Galvis gets dealt seemingly at 4.05, but obviously minutes before the trade deadline. Trade deadline's a little bit later this year, not just date-wise, but time-wise. It's August 2nd, it's Tuesday, and it's 6 o'clock. Yeah. We're going to see a lot of lineups have to be scratched at the last minute because players are going to be on the move. I'm not quite... I it's going to be they, major hug watch, Paul. But yeah, I guess they did this because for primetime purposes, you were suggesting? I I think so. I mean, you want to generate buzz around the trade deadline, right? And yeah. you don't want to... But I don't know. Isn't the NBA like the middle of the afternoon and the NBA always gets a ton of buzz as well? Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know. It, it's going to be strange because you have a, you're going to have a lot of 7 o'clock games on the East Coast for Tuesday games. And you're going to see probably once lineups are announced in the afternoon at some point, who's not in lineups on yeah. trade deadline day. It's going to be interesting. And... There are bigger names out there that are not on the Orioles who could be on the move, as we know. So it's going to be fascinating to see over the last few days exactly what happens there. One more thing I also want to mention, because a lot of people are talking in the comments about keeping the momentum going. Momentum, to use the oldest baseball cliche or one of them, is the next day's starting pitcher. And how many times have we seen teams lose momentum for seemingly no reason? Often it doesn't take a catalyst to drop a team's momentum. I look back to 2017 when the Orioles acquired somebody at the deadline and they ended up not being able to, and they, they went on an incredibly hot August and then they totally fell apart in the month of September. So they were about as hot as you could possibly be in the month of August. They got themselves back in the AL wildcard race. I believe they swept the Red Sox up at Fenway on Players Weekend in August and then out of nowhere, they just completely fell apart in the month of September. So momentum can happen like that. And I'm not saying it's going to happen to the Orioles, but it is possible that the Orioles lose whatever good vibes are going around right now, and they come back down to earth a little bit. I mean, we've seen the Red Sox go from incredible lows to incredible highs to incredible lows again. Right. So the Orioles are riding the wave for as long as they can, but that doesn't mean that they should lose sight of the long term simply because they're one of the hotter teams in baseball right now. And another possibility, Paul, we talked about Tim it. Tim Beckham. With... Sorry, how, how could I forget that? Yeah. In 2017, they acquired Tim Beckham. He played lights out for about a month, and then... Uh, you know, the the magic just disappeared in September, and that was the beginning of the end of that era of Oreo. Sorry, go ahead, Brenda. No, I was just going to say one kind of overarching theme here as we are at the, the midpoint of the season. We talked about it with the MLB drafts where the Orioles needed to get a slam dunk with the number one overall pick in Jackson Holiday because they would not 
have the number one overall pick going forward. I think it's entirely possible that much like the the draft where we knew we weren't going to be talking about the draft in the same way that we were for probably years down the line, I think it's entirely possible that this is the last trade deadline where we are talking about the Orioles like this for a while. Yeah. Because if things go according to plan and this team is more competitive next year, we could see the Orioles as buyers at the trade deadline. So I think it's entirely possible that this is the last year we see the Orioles sell. I think it's highly possible as well. All right. A couple other topics that we teased off the top. DL Hall. ERA is still a little bit inflated. I know fans are clamoring to see him. I know Tyler Wells hitting the IL certainly will heighten the anticipation for a DL Hall debut. But he still has a 4-4-5 ERA. He got rocked last time out. crushed. What was it? Two-thirds of an inning? Two-thirds of an inning, six earned runs. Not good. And I know that they gave him one inning coming out of the All-Star break, and there was concern that either he was injured or on the other flip side that they were getting him ready for a call-up. It looked like that, and the Orioles said that that was just a natural part of their plan as they go through this process with all of the pitchers as they build their arms back up. The strikeout numbers are ridiculously high. Triple A Norfolk, 15 for 9. That's all well and good. The walk numbers are still a massive concern, and it is a hump that he still cannot get over. 5.3 walks per 9 is simply too high a number to get him up to the big leagues right now, Brendan. I think he's close to getting called up regardless of the walk numbers. I think the stuff is good enough where maybe you'll live with it. I mean, we saw Felix Bautista. I know it's different, but we saw Felix Bautista get called up as a reliever with I mean, insane walk Even numbers. higher numbers, yeah. Right. So it's possible that the Orioles are just going, okay, we can figure out the walk numbers. But I think there is a discrepancy between how fans are viewing D.L. Hall's readiness for the big leagues and how the Orioles are viewing it. Yes. The stuff is there. He's got to command it. Yep. Like, it, it's just not there yet. It's probably a mental improvement more than anything right. that is needed. And he's made strides in that department that Elias has noted, but strides are yet to be taken. And bad outings happen. I'm not saying that he's not ready just because he gave up the six earned over two-thirds of an innings. It doesn't help. No. So, we'll see him. At some point, I still expect we'll see him in 2022. Could be mid to late August. Could be beginning of September. Remember, the season goes a little bit later this year into the beginning of October. So we could see him at some point. I just don't think it's going to be replacing Tyler Wells in the rotation or getting called up in the next week or so. I agree. Um, Other topics that we teased, Taron Vavra getting called up, not yet to play. Perhaps he will. We've got an afternoon game today. He's not in the lineup, but perhaps he could be a defensive replacement later on in the game. Orioles are trying to win the game. So they are going out there and they're not clearing the deck for Taron Vavra. They're not opening up a, a roster spot for him. They needed a second baseman with Jonathan Arauz going to the IL, and Taron Vavra is that guy for right now. I think it's telling as well when we've talked about prospects like Kyle Stowers and Taron Vavra. Kyle Stowers didn't start every game in Toronto. No. Taron Vavra has yet to start in Baltimore. So I know that we are excited about these prospects, especially when they are on the better half of the Orioles' top 30. But this is not a top five prospect in the system. This is not a Gunnar Henderson or even a Jordan Westberg. This is somebody that the Orioles probably view as a solid piece, not an excellent piece, maybe not even a starter at the big league level. Because as of right now, Brandon Hyde is going to put the best lineup out there. The Orioles are trying to win games. And as of right now, Brandon Hyde clearly does not believe 
that Taron Vavra gives him a better chance to win baseball games than Rudnett Odor. And it's not like he hadn't been trying to win games in the past. He had been trying to win every game before, right. Brendan Hyde had. But at this point last year, the Orioles were on their way to becoming the to securing the number one pick in the MLB draft. They're not on their way to doing that right now. So they're not in a position. They don't have the luxury of being able to throw somebody out there every single day who is just, they don't believe is fully ready for the bigs. They don't have time to watch Taron Vavra struggle and go through the, all the natural struggles that we expect from a rookie second baseman. They just don't have the ability to do right that right now. They have to go out there and, and try to win some baseball games. And if they believe somebody else gives them a better chance, they have to do it. That doesn't mean that Taron Vavra can't be a starter eventually at some point in his career, but he's still 24, 25 years old. And they believe that the guys they have on their roster right now give them a better shot. I am a little surprised that he has not started, especially given how Rugnet Odor has been playing. Yeah. I think there is a chance that Vavra gives you a better chance to win starting at second than Rugnet Odor does, but clearly Brandon Hyde doesn't believe that right now. Interesting, too. Vavra gets called up. We saw Jermai Jones, who left the organization, ended up signing with the Dodgers. I thought he was going to come back on a minor league deal to the Orioles. They appear to have moved on from him entirely. That's kind of wild. It is pretty crazy. Yeah. He needed Tommy John, so he was done for the year. The Dodgers take a chance on him. A good chance. I mean, he he was still, he had a decent amount of promise. I mean, he wasn't the top 100 prospect anymore, but it was still somebody that, at least in the Orioles farm system, I I still had hoped for. And at this point last year, we were talking about Jemai Jones in a similar way that we're talking about Taron Bobber right now. Right. He was regarded... Almost as highly. Vavra's 12th best prospect. Jemai Jones is in the 15-17 range at this point last year. Young prospect, 24 years old at that point. So we'll see what what happens with Vavra over the next coming days. We'll see what happens on the trade deadline. We hope to have plenty of trade deadline coverage coming your way. MassInSports.com, the Masson app. You can catch the podcast on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play. Brendan, we just hit... uh, Average of five stars on Spotify. Whoa. All access podcast. On accident? Went from four. I guess my mom made a bunch of different accounts. Yeah, just a lot of burners. 4.8 all the way up to 5.0. That's huge. I, I say it's all Tim Leonard and his excellent draft. Well, coverage. thank you for accidentally hitting the five star button. Exactly. We appreciate it. We appreciate it. Please give us five stars on all of your favorite podcast platforms. At Brendan Morty is Brendan's Twitter handle. I am at Paul Mancano. Thanks to Tim Leonard for producing this podcast, and we will see you soon. We'll have plenty of coverage as we inch closer to the trade deadline.